back to Martin's and more. My name is Maury Rich. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And we have 18 things to talk about today. What are you doing, Spoon? <laughs> what am I doing? I've been sitting here just waiting for you to ask me the musical question, um, what is the history of the Martin D-18? Okay, what is the history of the Martin D-18? <laughs> Well, a shout out to uh, a friend who said that might be a good topic for us to do, who had listened to the podcast where one of our listeners had asked for the history of the OM-42. But let's, let's start with like today. So the D-18, the modern Martin D-18 that you could order from Maury's Music today. Maury, what, uh, what would you say about that? How popular is it? It's definitely one of the most popular Dreadnoughts that we sell. It's almost fair to say it's one of the most popular Martin guitars that we sell. The D18, it just checks a lot of boxes, whether you're a finger picker, a strummer, somebody who plays solos. It's something that really covers a lot of ground. And when you take into consideration the size of the guitar, the bracing pattern of the guitar, and the back and side material of a Martin guitar that matters when it comes to tone and the voice of an instrument, the fact that the Martin D18 combines very clear, distinct mahogany with a bassy dreadnought size and a good amount of forward shifted scallop bracing that, in my opinion, gives you a nice blend of robust rhythm sounds, but it's focused enough to play single notes. I really think they hit a home run the way they're currently building the D18 in 2022, and to say it's popular would certainly be an understatement. I'm glad to know that. I, it's certainly one of the iconic flat top acoustic guitars in the world and in any form uh, back through its long history. So I'm going to uh, come back to the modern D18 and go into more details about it because it is a, a wonderful synthesis of C.F. Martin IV's long-standing goal of having contemporary and forward-thinking guitars that also are rooted and in many cases primarily um, full of traditional Martin mojo, as some people call it, Martin legacy, Martin uh, grandeur, frankly. And um, a lot of people don't think of uh, D18 as being a grandeur-oriented guitar compared to something like a pearly D45. But uh, when it comes to musical instruments, it's uh, definitely up there with the very best that you could find in the world today. So a D18, for those out there who don't already know, the D stands for the dreadnought size, size D stands for dreadnought. And that word first came into popularity in the 19 teens, uh, or a little before the 19 teens. Uh, it was a battleship, the HMS dreadnought, meaning dread nothing, and it was one of, if not the largest warship at the time. And then they made more dreadnoughts so that by 1915 in the First World War, there was a dreadnought class of battleship that ruled the waves for the British Navy. And that's where it came from because when the dreadnoughts were first introduced uh, around that time, um, they, uh, they took the name because they were so much bigger than any other Martin guitar that had been made previously. But style 18, the 18 
refers to the style of instrument, and that includes both what it looks like, the, the design of it in terms of the cosmetic appointments, and the materials used to create it. Style 18 goes all the way back to C.F. Martin's earliest days in America after he came from Germany and came to New York City and opened his little guitar shop and then moved out into Pennsylvania to uh, join other Germans, uh, Saxons, in fact. And he first lived on Cherry Hill, which was outside of the village of Nazareth. And then eventually, when his wife converted to the Moravian church, which did come from that part of Europe originally, they uh, moved into Nazareth. He wasn't allowed to live in Nazareth if you weren't, a, if you weren't Moravian. And the Moravians have a two major tenets to their kind of Protestantism. One is hard work and the other is music, an extremely musical sect. All of the major musical instrument makers in America in the early days, as far as we know, were Moravians, uh, piano makers, and of course, Martin with the guitars. Back in those days, sometime before 1857, so maybe we're looking at 1855, 22 years after he landed in America, we do know that Martin was offering a guitar called Style 18. And it's called Style 18 because it cost $18. And it was a size two, which was considered a very large guitar in those days. And if you think of modern Martins going down to size zero at the littlest, then there is the size one, and then there is the size two and a half, and then there is the size two, and they all go all the way down to tiny size five that modern people know of for the tourist guitars, uh, like the famous Claire guitar that was made in honor of C.F. Martin's daughter's birth. So a size two was considered a large guitar at that time when they were primarily parlor instruments played by refined ladies and such. And the size two with the very plain, plainest appointments Martin could offer was cost $18 and was called Style 18. Um, it didn't appear in the price list until 1857. By the late 1850s to, well, certainly by the, you have to go up pretty far up, and but it became available probably by the end of the American Civil War in every size Martin made. You could get it in Style 18. They didn't cost $18 anymore. Style 18 by that time meant the cosmetic look of the guitar and what it was made out of. Um, eventually, you go, it gets a cedar neck. Eventually, it um, gets uh, bound with rosewood. All these guitars were rosewood guitars. Most uh, modern people think of Style 18, like the D18 being a mahogany back and sides. Uh, that did not happen until 1917. And so uh, by that time, the Dreadnought was already invented but the Dreadnought wasn't being sold by Martin. We know by now about the famous Hawaiian superstar, Major Kialaki. He came to Mr. Martin, and this is something that was only recently discovered in the Martin archives. He came to Martin, Mr. Martin through writing letters probably, uh, requesting a much larger guitar that he could play in the Hawaiian style, basically lap steel with a lap steel, and probably in slack key as they called it, and steel strings which Martin was just beginning to experiment with steel strings at this time. They were still gut string guitars, primarily used for the classical 
a repertoire by classical guitarists. And so they made this special guitar for Major Kialaki and hats off to Greg Hutton up in Canada was the researcher that discovered the correspondence in the Martin archives and had the custom shop recreate Kialaki's guitar. And just this past year, Martin has offered the their version of a Kialaki guitar. It's not exactly like the one that Craig had made, but it's based on that. And um, that's available uh, for sale now. It's a very cool guitar. They now consider it the Ur Dreadnought because we didn't know that Martin had made this huge guitar right before they started making the Dreadnought design. And they started making a, a Dreadnought, a fellow named John Dykeman, who's now famous for um, inventing the Dreadnought and the OM, and went on to be a, the shop foreman. He was very young at the time that he made this Dreadnought guitar that we now assume was based on Kialaki's guitar, shaped differently. Kialaki's guitar, mahogany guitar, I think it was, but it was basically the next size up, be a quadruple aught guitar. Looks like the 12 fret double O and triple O, but was bigger and looks a little weirder because it's bigger. Um, the Dreadnought has its own shape. And so they he was making this guitar when Mr. Ditson of the Ditson department stores, musical department stores, was happening through the Martin factory and saw it and said, I want you to make those for me. And he was going to advertise them as the bass guitar of mandolin orchestras. And that's where the first dreadnoughts were made, though they didn't uh, call them dreadnoughts unless they, they might have called them that in the factory as a nickname, again, based on the giant battleship from making this big, bassy, booming guitar that was so much um, out of balance compared to the traditional Martin Double O, uh, with a you know with this big wallowing powerful bass, so they were making those guitars for Ditson. And when Ditson went out of business in the 1920s, the uh, now uh, mahogany style 18 was used in 1931 to create a guitar called the D1. They made a D1. They may have made two of them, and they made a D2, which was rosewood, and basically. They were the 12 fret D18 and the 12 fret D28. After they made them and they were successful and people liked them, they then immediately came out with the D18. So the very first D18 appeared in 1931. It's a 12 fret guitar with the big round slope shoulders that uh, some people absolutely love and has been recreated at Martin through the years. And, but Dreadnoughts did not sell. They, they sold very few D18s and D28s at first. They were really big and the, they were uh, preferred by Hawaiian style players. The first uh, modern day artist I'm going to mention after Major Kialaki is Norman Blake, the uh, fabulous uh, Americana musician. And he, uh, for many years, owned a 1934 D18H 12 fret dreadnought that was made to be played Hawaiian style. So when they when you see H on a Martin guitar, that means it was set up for Hawaiian. So the frets are flush to the fretboard, uh, so you can't even play it Spanish style. And the and you have the uh, strings higher up, and you play it with a slide. Um, but a lot of people convert it, convert the H guitars. So um, you had those 12 fret Ds that were not purchased by very many people until um, you know who, Gene Autry, 
had his D45, the very first D45, with all that pearl and his name on it. And then that made people more interested. And then sales for Dreadnought started to pick up. 1934, Martin comes out with the 12 fret D18, the experimental orchestra models, the OMs, that were made with 14 frets free from the body and braced expressly for steel strings appeared in 1930. And they were so popular, they revolutionized the acoustic guitar world. Everybody started making 14 fret guitars, um, became the normal design, and Martin converted their entire line to 14 fret guitars in 1934. So that's when we get into the classic D18 that people think of with bluegrass. And not just with bluegrass. Uh, we know that James Taylor, as we, Mari and I know, uh, James Taylor owned a 1937 D18 that was recently made into a new model for Martin. And we'll get to that later on. So you have the, the pre-war D18s with the big fat V-necks and one and three quarter inch width nuts and forward shifted scallop bracing that give you that uh, spectacular echoey bass. That's something that people have been trying to copy, including Martin, forever afterwards. And there's been plenty of artists. Uh, I'm sure people listening on YouTube that can comment uh, below the video version of this can uh, start to recount artists that they know of that played pre-war uh, D18s. And um, so that was recreated in the, sort of recreated in first the Golden Era series. Um, the Vintage series came out before the Golden Era series, but the Vintage series, which is the first time you got a D18 with forward shifted bracing, and scallop bracing and all that were based on uh, the later ones that had the skinnier one and three quarter inch width neck. But I guess I'm jumping ahead. So to try to zoom through this history really quickly before we really start talking about how the past connects to the future and all of the artists that have made beautiful music with D18s. So they, they made the skinnier neck in 1939, still a V-neck. So it's still bigger and rounder in the hand than a modern day D18, but a 1 and 11 16th inch nut, 2 and 8th at the 12th fret. Those came out in 1939. They also moved the bracing back to the rear shifted bracing around 1938, 1939, and changes the sound. Much more focused sound. Uh, the To me, it sounds like, in my mind, it sounds like the bass uh, strings and the, the A and the D string sit up top and are very, very focused, where the forward shifted bracing gives you that more rumbly resonance. So those fundamental notes kind of sink down in the woofy cushion that comes up out of the undertone. And rear shifted bracing, very focused, poppy bass notes. You still get plenty of rumble and plenty of overtones and, and all that and undertone, but to a lesser degree. And so those are the D18s from the World War II era. And then they phase out, and again, mahogany back and sides, still being made with Eastern red, red spruce, also known as Adirondack spruce, that Martin had been using up until the Second World War. Guitar-worthy uh, spruce trees were almost harvested out of extinction during the war, primarily to uh, make uh, gliders. Uh, for the army. And I didn't even know this until I read Stephen Ambrose's uh, book about D-Day that 
the number of gliders that were made just for that operation alone is unbelievable. I can't even remember how many they made, but an insane amount of gliders were made for uh, transporting equipment and, and personnel in those days. And, uh, you know, on a one-way trip because they would crash land and break apart um, wherever they landed. But because um, they also use them in the Pacific and like that. So Martin had to phase out using Adirondack spruce and adopted using Sitka spruce. Much bigger trees get much better uh, yield out of Sitka spruce. Um, Sitka spruce has a wonderful wide dynamic range and a, a kind of a sweet spot in terms of warmth versus uh, brightness and for into many people's ears. And I think it works wonderfully with mahogany back and sides. I actually prefer Sitka with mahogany over uh, Adirondack um, personally. So you have your D18s coming up. So by the time you get up to Hank Williams and Elvis Presley, you're getting into those modern D18s for them that had the rear shifted bracing and the skinnier neck. Um, the Hank Williams model that Martin made had a very, probably the pointiest pup tent V-neck I remember playing on a guitar uh, that was made by Martin. Um, the later Elvis Presley model that uh, was also based on the Chris Martin uh, 1955 birthday model has a different shape to the neck, still a modified V neck, but a uh, different feeling to it. They didn't make an Elvis Presley D18, those are D28s, but those are 1950s uh, instruments and, and Elvis was actually known more for playing a D18 than a D28. That's what he was playing primarily through his early, uh, early hot shot days as uh, the so-called king of rock and roll and, and all the girls squealing and fainting and all that stuff. Let's pause for a moment and listen to a sound sample of a Martin D-18. So D-18s uh, were very big. I already started taking over bluegrass around that time. In the 60s, you get up into the 1960s and you get into uh, the Kentucky Colonels. Young guys playing bluegrass. They didn't call it new grass back then, but that's basically what it was with Clarence White just tearing it up on a D-18. <laughs> his his D-28 is quite famous because it ended up in the hands of, that's one of the big sound hole that en ended up after he died in Tony Rice's hands, but all of Clarence White's solos with the Kentucky Colonels were all done on a D-18. Again, clarity, mahogany clarity, you have fewer overtones and they're less busy overtones. You still get overtones, very pretty angelic, but they're more sort of singular that just sort of hang there like pretty clouds, kind of like the opening to The Simpsons, those pretty clouds kind of hovering <laughs> on top, but still very clear blue skies. That's the sound I hear from, from mahogany 
and Spruce and the D18. And then you get into Simon and Garfunkel with uh, the early Simon and Garfunkel primarily recorded and performed live on a D18. Gordon Lightfoot, D18 from that era. And I, I don't remember often who was playing a uh, contemporary 1960s D18, who was playing an old 50s D18, you know, who was even back going back and lucky enough to have a uh, D18 from the 1930s. Uh, that would be an interesting research project. And I'm sure somebody's done it, you know, whose D18 was made when. Jerry Garcia's D18 uh, is all over the American Beauty album and Working Man's Dead uh, with songs like Ripple and Friend of the Devil and was probably the only, it may have been the only acoustic guitar. Uh, they may have done overdubs. And so it may have just been that guitar playing all the acoustic parts. I don't know for certain, but I'm sure other people do. Um, let's see, who else then off the top of my head can, from those eras, can you think of D18s in people's hands? I was going to ask you if that's a Joni Mitchell answer there. She actually had a D28, but I bet you she had a D18. Her, D, her D28 was famously stolen. Boy, I think I should, I should think, 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 put on my thinking cap. Who am I missing? And I look forward to hearing other people talking about this. Who, who, who? I know I'm missing some important people. Well, a big album in my life was Willis Allen Ramsey's only album that came out in the early 70s, I think. And it has a lot of famous songs on it that other people covered, like Muskrat Love and uh, <laughs> Spider John. Um, he's a big pal with Lyle Lovett, and Lyle does uh, several of his songs. He's written many more songs. He's still out there. He just never made another record. He still performs all over the West and primarily in Austin. Um, but that whole record was made with a D18. And it's one of those things that, that studios had because that was easy to record, much easier to record a D18 than a 28 because of that rosewood complexity that causes feedback and causes muddiness and, and all that. So uh, lots, of, uh, lots of anonymous D18s across the pantheon of, of music being recorded, at least in the United States and those in Canada and, and that era. So by the time you get up into the 50s and 60s, and the 50s, you still have rear shifted bracing. And we think rear shifted bracing moved forward to what until recently was considered modern bracing, the X brace. We're talking about the placing of the X brace, how far away it is from the sound hole. It's how it's measured, but it's really about how close it is to the bridge plate. The closer it is to the bridge plate, the stiffer that area is. The farther away from the bridge plate, the more flexible it is, and that then uh, infects the entire lower bout of how flexible it is, and that's where you get that extra bassiness, that extra echo and uh, that you get in the sound of forward-shifted braced guitars. Uh, you rarely had forward-shifted braced guitars that didn't have scallop bracing, really, until the modern D28. Um, so when we talk about for real true forward-shifted bracing, that was all scallop brace guitars, rear shifted, still scalloped, goes into straight bracing, non-scalloped, late 40s into the 50s. They bring the X brace a little forward in the uh, probably 1959, maybe 1960. And nobody knows why, just like back then, nobody knows why it was changed. Martin didn't even know it changed. Modern day Martin <laughs> people didn't know it changed. And until some guy, some little repair, and a little guy, not a little guy, but a guy in a little repair shop in Ohio pointed it out to them about, about the, uh, 
the change in the 1930s. And then I think the change in the 1950s or 60s really didn't get written down either. So 1960s, you get into those, the D18s we were talking about with Paul Simon and Gordon Lightfoot and up into the 70s and onward. Another big change was the uh, Ebony went away. Again, World War II, Ebony goes away. And well, maybe before World War II, at some point, Style 18 had a Rosewood Bridge and board. But that's probably during the First World War. I mean, Second World War, sorry. During the Second World War, they would have gone to uh, Rosewood for the Fringerborden Bridge, um, cost cutting and availability, of course, trying to get Ebony during the Second World War was difficult. And so Style 18 and Style 21 went with uh, Rosewood Borden Bridge. And um, it really wasn't until the D21 came out in 1955, I think, that Style 21 turned into Style, for all intents and purposes, Style 18 with a rosewood back and sides. So they basically looked the same from the front for the most part. And they started making 12 frets again. They started making uh, the 12 fret Ds again because of the folk boom. And they put an S on the end for the standard body size, which they referred to the 12 fret designs versus the orchestra model. So we started seeing the return of 12 fret guitars in the early 1960s. And um, the D18S also shows up all over the place in the, in the 70s and 80s. I think you're going to find a lot of people who bought D18s bought it because they couldn't afford a D28. And I know a lot of people like that. And, but then they fell in love with the mahogany sound. I fell in love with the mahogany sound really because of Leo Kotke. And he wasn't actually playing Martins at that time. He had started playing Taylors and he was playing mahogany and I got into playing mahogany and, and became a mahogadite, as I call myself. Some people know my, my unofficial Martin Guitar Forum Fantasy Football League team name is the Nazareth Mahoganites. And, uh, <laughs> and I was in love with mahogany. I didn't buy my first rosewood guitar until I was well into my 30s. Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, it was, in fact, my first Martin. But then my second Martin was a 00018 from 1953. I'd gotten what they called a custom 15, which later became the HD28V. But I, you know, I wasn't prepared for how big a dreadnought was. I wasn't prepared for the long scale V-neck. So I got rid of that and I got a uh, short scale, beautiful 00018 from 1953. Then I got the very first OM18 that showed up in, uh, OM18V that showed up in New York City. Being an OM guy, I bought a 1971 D18. That was my first D18, loved that. I'm sorry, 1973, I beg your pardon. Bought it used, now owned by a friend of mine, Trey Kay, I used to be in a band with, and he still uses it as his main performance guitar to this day. By the time you get into the late 60s, everybody complains about the oversized rosewood bridge plate and the straight bracing and how dead it made everything. And that's not true. There's beautiful sounding early 70s D18s. They don't sound the same as one with a maple bridge plate. And they don't sound the same as one with scallop bracing. They don't sound the same as one with Ford shifted scallop bracing, but they still are beautiful sounding guitars with that wonderful Martin clarity and, you know, mahogany clarity and all that. Why in the 1970s for the oversized bridge plate? Um, I think because Fred Martin um, cared much more about overhead and um, about repairs and the lifetime limited warranty. I'm sure that's why they moved to the bracing in the, in the 30s, that they were getting uh, 
complaints about bellying and stuff like that. And they needed to, you know, they adjusted it to protect, to try to reduce their repair bills, you know, that they had to do, come up with. And also they got rid of scallop bracing for the same thing. Scallop bracing, he, he got rid of scallop bracing entirely because it took too long and you can make it many more guitars in the time it took if you didn't have to scallop the bracing. And so it, that's really what it was all about. And it wasn't until his grandson uh, was influencing the guitar uh, maker that we saw the return of scallop bracing with the OMs. In those days were made in very limited numbers, special editions, um, the M size guitars, special editions. Um, the HD 28 was the first dreadnought that came out with scallop bracing. And then uh, wasn't until really the custom 15 and the launch of the vintage series that we started seeing scallop bracing on dreadnoughts again. And the D18V, well loved by a zillions of people. Uh, the D18 Golden Era had even more scalloping, uh, even lighter weight scalloping, and an Adirondack spruce top, which needs lighter weight scalloping because it's much stiffer spruce. And uh, they had the big wide V-necks. Um, but people clamored and clamored and clamored for that stuff, saying, why don't you put scallop bracing on the regular D18? Regular D18 black binding, black pickguard, big white domino dots, you know, from the Art Deco era and Rosewood board and bridge. And they, it was the poor stepchild. It was for people who couldn't afford a D28 and, uh, or an HD28 or an H, or for that matter, D18V or D18 Golden Era or the 12 fret D18 VS, which are fantastic guitars, wonderful, supersized finger style guitars. Um, yeah, and our late friend Dave Kaskeski had a had one of the best sounding ones I ever I ever uh, played. So I was just going to say that exact thing. That's so weird. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the from the early Martin Fest that was always considered. You know, uh, when it came to Sonic Beauty contests at Martin Fest, it was always in the running uh, every year. So that's basically the history. We get up there, you know, they uh, as somebody said to me at Martin, whose name won't be mentioned, he said that. The triple 18 so well the triple 18 is certainly broken and i don't think that's true i've played plenty of very charming triple 18s and the, again in those days the triple 18 and triple and triple 28 did not have scallop bracing they had straight bracing and and they were designed to be played really hard with finger picks you know and to my, through microphones that's the way i look at it and played really hard with with big thick picks back before amplification became the norm for acoustic guitars and I don't think it was broken. Uh, the Triple O 18 and the D18 were the biggest selling Martins in the world because Martins are so much more expensive overseas. So in the 70s, 80s, 90s, more Triple O 18s were probably bought than maybe any other Martin. Certainly the D18 might have outsold it because they were, they were the most affordable Martins. And to have a Martin guitar and you lived in England or Germany or Japan, uh, was a much more expensive achievement than uh, than it was in America. Um, and a very dear friend of mine still owns a uh, a triple O eighteen for that very reason. Even though she also owns and plays my OM twenty eight V these days. So that brings us up to the modern era, where fortunately Chris Martin decided to revamp the D eighteen 
It may not have been his idea, but he gave the go-ahead, revamp the D-18 and give it, really what they did was retire the D-18V, one of the last surviving models from the vintage series, and they just resurrected it again with the modern neck. They got rid of the V-neck. They got rid of the 1 11 16th inch V-neck, and they came out with the high-performance neck, which is one and three quarter inch width neck at the nut, but it's still two and an eighth at the 12th fret. So it's really a hybrid neck that combined their old one and three quarter inch neck with their one and 11 16th inch neck, and they gave it the modified oval profile, which I later learned from Tim Teal. The reason they did that is that was the most requested neck shape at the custom shop. And they finally, somebody finally woke up and said, People keep asking us, can I get a D28 or an HD28 or a D18, but can I have that neck shape? So they just put it on that guitar, gave it, it had the forward shifted bracing, it had the pre-war style 18, gone was the black pickguard, gone was the black binding, went back to the faux tortoiseshell look, went back with the uh, ebony bridge and the ebony fingerboard, and an ebony fingerboard gives you a fuller voice. Um, it's subtle, but it's definitely different than the less dense Rosewood Bridge. Um, Four shifts of scallop bracing and the vintage style tuners, vintage style logo on the headstock. Just a, they brought, they finally did what everybody's been wanting them to do is bring that guitar into the standard series without the V-neck. And it was so popular, they did it to the triple O. 18 and the D28. Same idea. Bring in the modern neck and give it forward shifted bracing on the D28. And the day and the year after that, what happened the year after that, Moy? The year after that, they thought, let's just be safe and do it to everything. Everything in the standard series got the same treatment and all was right with the world. It was the biggest hit. I, I still remember talking to our reps at Martin and it was just so unanimous that why didn't we do that sooner? Yes, they called it the Reimagined Standard Series. And you'll still see that uh, that term used today in guitar shops that refer to a reimagined D18, a reimagined 28, D28, and so forth. So yes, yeah, so now the, the HD28 and the D, uh, is the old HD28V, but with the modern neck, basically, for all intents and purposes. Uh, but they brought it to everything. They brought them that neck to the M36, though it still gets the tuners and the uh, and looks more like an M36 from the 70s when they first came out. And it looks, you know, and they, they did it to everything. Even those modern grand performance models got uh, appointments of a pre-war Martin and the bracing. So that's today's modern D18. Forward shifted bracing, Sitka spruce, beautiful, genuine uh, South American mahogany, um, big leaf mahogany is the scientific name. Um, some people call it Hon Honduran mahogany, which is not really accurate since, uh, since most of it was coming from Peru and places like that for years and years and years, so mainly South American. Terrific guitar. So now I want to hear what Mario has to say about his history of the D18. Uh, when do you first remember encountering a D18? Who do you think of when you think of D18s? When did you start selling D18s? And then we can move into the different kinds of D18s that are available today. Well, we became a Martin dealer in 2003, and the opening order 
I mean, I don't remember many details, but I'm sure we had to have a D18. We began, like any other store, becoming a standard dealer, and then quickly leaped up to becoming a marquee dealer, which means, uh, you know, higher status, you get some perks, and at the same time, you have to place bigger orders more regularly. But in both programs, the standard dealer and the marquee dealer, you need to carry a core group of what Martin considers important to the public, and there's no doubt the D18 along with some other standard series staples, was in there. So 2003 was the beginning of it. And we didn't really begin this program thinking ahead. I didn't give you guys a good trivia question, but I'll throw one here late. What was the very first signature series, D18, that Mari's Music ever sold? So put that in the back burner. Ooh, that's a brilliant, brilliant. Basically, ever since we became a Martin dealer, the D18, uh, because it has to be, frankly, was in the mix. Uh, we did very well at the beginning with the D18V, the D18VS, and then the D18 Golden Era. They were the first four, you know, going back into the early 2000s. I don't remember a lot of other D18s being on the market back at that time, but the plain D18, when I say plain, I mean the straight brace D18, garden variety, and the D18V, if I'm remembering right, they were two of our best sellers. And I really liked the D18V myself. I was a big fan of the warmth and the bassy voice of that guitar. And I'm not sure if anybody wins, if you and I go back and argue about all the D18s that have come and gone, which was the darkest, which was the brightest, which was the loudest. But I wonder if you would agree with me to say that the D18V seemed to be the rosewoodiest of all the bunch. That's interesting. I see what you're saying there. But yes, again, I think it's the forward shifted bracing with ebony bridge and possibly the ebony fretboard. A lot of people, everybody's convinced that electric guitars sound different depending on what the fretboard's made out of. So it makes sense that would be true of, of acoustic guitars as well. But definitely the bridge matters. And yeah, so it's, a, it's probably the fullest. Um, you know, maybe the VS is even fuller, of course, because of the 12 fret design that gives you an uh, even bigger bass. So yeah, I would say that's probably true. But the new D18 basically is the D18V with a modern neck. And so one, it's a wonderful guitar. And I actually owned a, a retro for a time and uh, enjoyed that and, you know, and gigged with that with the built-in Aura system. This was the old original Aura. We had the, huh. the controls on the side of the guitar and, and you had like nine different choices and 8,000 different uh, effects you could put in in terms of <laughs> compression and you know and EQ and all that stuff um, and I, I did enjoy it I sold it to a fellow who was who was leaving the city a young guy that was leaving the city to move off to the mountains of one of the Carolinas I wish I could remember now and and wanted a D18 and I'll tell you why because and some people have already probably written this in the comments perhaps for some people the most famous D18 player of all time is Doc Watson of course, he moved on to like, you know, Gallagher, one of the small builders basically made him a version of the D18 that he played later in his life. But he, you know, him and Lester Flatt. But when I think of that kind of music, that kind of bluegrassy music, um, the D18 sound that I think of most is Del McCurry. Del McCurry, you can hear, you know, oftentimes you cannot tell what's a D18 and what's a D28 on a record when everybody's playing with a bunch of musicians and all that stuff. But when he does his famous version of, you know, the, the G run that uh, Lester Flat was more known for. You can just hear it. It's like the mahogany-ness, the D18-ness just pops out of recording when he, because he loves to do that run every time, chance he gets. 
but also Chris Christopherson. And both of them, you could say, sort of country music. Doc Watson's more in the bluegrass vein, and Chris Christopherson's more in the country folk, country rock, singer-songwriter vein. Both D18s, extremely versatile. Kurt Cobain, you know, the names go on and on of people who have used D18s uh, for their to make their music and and make it very very well. Of course, he uh, Cobain was playing a 1950s or maybe early 60s uh, D18E with those big magnetic pickups and the big knobs drilled into the <laughs> top, but uh, still very very uh, true D18s and D18 sound. But anyway, yes, that's a, a long answer to the D18V, maybe the Rose Woodiest, as you put it. Uh, certainly a very robust, full, toneful instrument that is now available as the standard D18 with the modern neck. Um, really great move on Martin. So popular it led to the entire revamping of the what they called the Reimagined Standard Series. I got so lost in that great reply, I almost forgot about my trivia question. Would you like to hear the answer? What is the trivia question again? The trivia question is, what is the very first limited edition D18 ever sold at Maury's Music? Well, I'm going to guess before you give the answer, I'm going to guess it is the D18 Andy Griffith. Ah, shucks. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you very much for listening. No, I, I can't leave without giving you the answer. You're very, very close. The very first limited edition D18 ever sold at Maury's Music is the D18 David Crosby. And I know even you would never mistake David Crosby for Andy Griffith. <laughs> well, these days, I don't know. But, uh, well, of course, Andy Griffith isn't with us any longer. But, but, um, but yeah, David Crosby, uh, that beautiful, pure white mother of pearl schooner inlaid on the headstock. It had a 111 16th inch modified V-neck and um, a Engelman spruce top. So very cool. Very cool. How about that? He still plays it. Well, you sound like you know your D-18s. Can I put you on the spot? Uh, well, you usually do, so let her rip. <laughs> well, this time I'm going to ask first. Name every D-18 in order. <laughs> go. Okay. Um, I'll see how many I actually get, and I'm, I'm sure the order isn't going to be exactly right. But I uh, will start with the first D-18 was 12 fret, 1931. The 14 fret D-18 uh, came out in um, 1934. And that was followed by, uh, we'll stay with just the D18 because they it changed over the years in terms of bracing and all that stuff. But the D18E, uh, the first electric, which I just mentioned, that I know it was out as early as 1959. And then after, and by this time, you, you got a Rosewood, Fingerhorn Bridge, and we go up through the 60s. And it's not until really around the Chris Martin era, though his dad was, uh, granddad was, still in charge. One of those two were in charge when they came out with the Guitars of the Month. They had at least two D18s in their Guitar of the Month program, which was a misnomer because they didn't like put at 12 a year. Um, one was the D318 that had three-piece back, 19, 
19, I'm going to say 1991. And then the next year, 1992, they came out with the first D18V. This is before the Vintage series, but it was a D18 oh. with the V-neck and the, and the like forward shifted bracing and all that, scallop bracing and all that. Remember, this was the D18s didn't have scallop bracing at this time. And then they came out with the D18V for the Vintage series, um, the D18V. And in and around here, we probably start seeing signature models. And I don't remember, I'm pretty sure the first D18 signature model was the D18 Gordon Lightfoot. Also had an Engelman spruce top like the later David Crosby. And it had the uh, silhouette of the ship representing the Edmund Fitzgerald and the 12th fret. Uh, it's, it's one of the most collectible Martins ever. Uh, the prices for that, for some reason, go way beyond normal for a for you know a Martin you know limited edition in that same era around there was the D18 uh, actually HD18 Jimmy Buffett uh, which basically mm -hmm. uh, has a combination of herringbone style 28 look and D18 look with palm trees on the on the headstock um, let's see I'm going to try to pick it up now D18V then we had the Golden Era series D18GE which was the, one of the first guitars I uh, it was the first guitar I ever reviewed for Maury's Music's uh, website that uh, the Golden Era series upped the game on vintage style D18s. It had Adirondack spruce top and Golden Era style bracing, which has more scalloping in it than you get in uh, the standard series. Uh, it's a lighter, you know, more flexible bracing and uh, also forward shifted, but also one three quarter inch modified V neck with wider string spacing. And the very first D18 Authentic came out in 2006, I think. That, of course, took things further with the uh, Golden Era style bracing being replaced by Authentic style bracing that has the tucked bracing, as they call it. Uh, people can look that up, where uh, what tucked bracing is uh, on, at onemans.com, my website, or on Maury's Music. And that gives you even more vintage sound, and it had a bigger uh, v-neck uh, based on 1937 d18 but not on a specific one like the later uh, authentic series other signature models we you mentioned david crosby and i had those other two i know i'm missing one here uh, i'm pretty sure there was another d18 out there okay so we're up up into the uh, modern era and we have the d modern d18e which had the modern electronics and the DC-18E, Modern Electronics, that comes from the factory. And we then had the Retro D-18E. Oh, boy, I'm sure I'm missing some in there now. But then we get up to the Modern Authentic series with the fabulous D-18 Authentic 1939 that uh, has the rear-shifted authentic style bracing, a much more focused base than the now recently introduced 1937 version and they also had the uh, 1939 version in the aged. And in there, uh, before then, of course, was the standard series reimagined D18. That is today's D18. It combines the wonderful vintage appointments with four chips of scallop bracing, but with the modern neck, modern construction, um, modern truss rod, adjustable truss rod, all that stuff. I know I, I already mentioned the D18 VS on one of my all-time favorite Martin guitars ever, the big 12 fretter with the big V-neck. It's so great at finger picking. So I'm sure I left some out. I'm sure maybe people were piping in 
Um, let me just rack my brains one more time just to see if there's anybody I, um, oh, not Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith owned a D18 that didn't have a pick guard and they recreated it, you know, and helped him make some money for a charity. And that model had a spectacular bear claw top. One of the first Martins models out that specifically was chosen to have extremely a busy, heavy duty bear claw on it. A very cool looking guitar. So that's a, a favorite of mine as well. So, and then um, I guess I'll let you talk about the modern deluxes because I accidentally left them off my list. How could you forget the D18 modern deluxe? It's the best one. <laughs> that's why I was turning it over to you because I know you love that model. <laughs> well, we're almost out of time, but I cannot leave this program without singing the praises of probably my favorite series of these modern Martins, the modern deluxe D18 takes everything we just gushed about on the D18, which takes a lot of its inspiration from the D18V, but here we have upgrades like gold tuners, gold Evo fret wire, a torified Sitka spruce top with a bridge plate that's made of a combination of a sandwiched piece, a VTS Adirondack, and two outer layers of carbon fiber. And on the Modern Deluxe series, whether you're getting rosewood guitars or mahogany guitars, the binding is always wood. So in most of the other Modern Deluxes that are rosewood guitars have a beautiful maple binding. On the D18 Modern Deluxe, you find rosewood here. But that guitar, in my professional opinion, takes everything I love about the D18 and just makes it a little bit louder, a little more responsive, a little bit clearer. And everybody's opinion is going to be different. You might like the D18 better than the D18 Modern Deluxe, but I don't. And the D18 Modern Deluxe also comes with onboard electronics uh, that include the amazing uh, HD Aura or Aura HD system, which is uh, truly uh, high fidelity, um, highly detailed um, version of the Aura that um, is the latest generation and currently only available on the modern deluxe series guitars. Well, not nearly as highly detailed as this program has been. You were on fire from the top, and I appreciate all your insights. Those people that call you a Mahoganite, they are not kidding. <laughs> That's right. The Mahoganite. But, uh, yes. So, yes, it's been fun. Um, I look forward to the comments from the YouTube listeners. And, of course, anybody who's not listening on YouTube, if you're on one of the other platforms, any questions or comments, uh, you can certainly email to Maury's Music, and uh, they'll get them on to me if it's a question for me. Um, I'm also reachable at my website, tspguitar.com, and, of course, onemans.com, onemans with a Z. And if you are on another platform, please consider heading over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Well, Spoon, you know what the music means. That's going to do it for today's broadcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to remind everybody, especially on YouTube, let us know what we missed. What's your favorite D18? And was there a specific D18 we didn't talk enough about? you got to let us know in the comments section below. From all of us at Maury's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. Music.com.